Hey guys, Pete Mundo here. Thanks so much for downloading this week's radio show into podcast form. We appreciate that. This thing's really grown the last several months, and it's because of you sharing, spreading the word. And if you haven't, please do uh, leave us a rating, review, subscribe on iTunes. It helps us out a whole lot. And if you do that, I'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. All you have to do is email me a screenshot of your rating and your review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Third and goal at the three. And Iowa State moved at the snap. Skyler Thompson to the goal line. Touchdown. I can feel it coming on now as the music plays. Taking shots with the night out. He's at the Baylor 35, the 30, the 25, the 20. It's a foot race to the 10, to the 5. Into the end zone. He goes again. David Sills with a 53-yard touchdown reception. We're going all night long, everybody And the Cyclones win it. They have knocked off the number four TCU Hard Frogs. This is not some mirage. When the sun goes they just kept trying to catch him, and he just kept running away from him. It's 81 yards from McCleskey on the grab. Well, congratulations to the Big 12 Conference, wrapping up a bowl season at 4-3, and three, putting it in the rearview mirror, and now getting ready for none other than the offseason, recruiting, spring football. I mean, there's just so much to look forward to, and it's great to have you in. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We're your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Please do check us out if you haven't yet. And however you're getting the show, whether it's through the radio show, through the podcast, through YouTube, Facebook Live, whatever it might be, we do appreciate you checking us out and being a part of this. So last week, a lot of people asked me after hearing the show and the podcast and whatnot, hey, what about Texas and the Sugar Bowl? What about the Longhorns? When are you going to talk about the Longhorns? Well, without giving you, I guess I'll tell you here, you know, we have a radio show that airs in four Big 12 states. Um, some of these shows are carried on Wednesday, some Thursday, Friday. So we have to be careful in what we talk about, what we don't talk about. Um, and I typically get a lot of these radio stations, the shows, uh, midweek. With that Texas game being at 8 o'clock, 8.30, whatever it was, on a Tuesday night, it just it didn't work. I couldn't get it to work. So let me give you my thoughts quickly on Texas. We'll get to the entire Big 12, and then we'll go from there. First off, when it comes to the Longhorns, that opening drive against Georgia was pure domination, was a thing of beauty, and I knew right there Texas was going to win this game. I, you know, How about the Georgia Bulldogs? They talked so much smack on Twitter. I mean, these guys were running their mouths like crazy after Clemson blew out Notre Dame, after Alabama was up 28-0 on Oklahoma. It's like they wasted all their energy tweeting. All their energy went to their thumbs on that Saturday night of college football playoff games, and they forgot to come out and play on Tuesday. You can't talk smack and say that you should have been the team in the Final Four and then go get embarrassed by Texas in the Sugar Bowl. All right, it's great that Notre Dame got embarrassed. It's great that Oklahoma was down 28 points. But if you don't take care of your own business, none of it matters. And Georgia didn't. 
you know, if you're a Big 12 fan, and I know so many of you that don't like Texas, uh, hate the Longhorns, I understand it. They're the cream of the crop, at least in terms of being a blue blood in the conference. Um, you should hate the Texas Longhorns when you don't play them, or when you do play them. But when you don't play them, you should root for them, especially, especially in a bowl game like that against Georgia. That was a thing of beauty. And that's why I'll take some credit here. I picked Texas to win that game. I didn't think Georgia would want to be in it. I didn't think they'd want to be there. Tom Herman's great as an underdog. He understands what that game and that win can do for this team's momentum. And it's enormous, absolutely enormous for that program. So there are my thoughts on Texas. Kudos to the Longhorns. I was not avoiding you guys last week. The timing was just difficult. So let me quickly run down the uh, top five moments of the Big 12 Bowl season that was this past month. Uh, Just quickly, first off, honorable mention, I wrote about this on heartlandcollegesports.com, Matt Campbell ripping into the officials, and uh, it ended up getting us 170,000 views on our uh, tweet because we caught him in action saying there's no bleeping way to the officials after a tough call in an Alamo Bowl. Number five. Uh, top five moment from the Big 12 Bowl season. Brock Purdy's 53-yard hookup with David Montgomery. The Cyclones were down 28-20 at the time. First and 15, their own 46. Purdy and Montgomery hook up. Now, they still lose the game. They fell on the two-point conversion. But that big play set up the drive that pulled the Cyclones to within a two-point conversion of tying that game up. Number four, Jalen Rager's 58-yard punt return for TCU against Cal. Uh, At this point, TCU's offense had done nothing. Rager's 58-yard punt return late in the third quarter with TCU down by a touchdown, took it to the Cal 33, and that resulted in the only TCU touchdown of the game. They kicked through the field goal in overtime to win 10-7 over Cal. Number three for best Big 12 moments of the bowl season, Oklahoma State's blocked field goal attempt. Remember, Oklahoma State tried a fake punt in their own territory. It failed miserably. Missouri then had the ball down two points in field goal range. The defense for the Pokes held up. Then they blocked a 42-yard field goal attempt from Tucker McCann, a huge momentum swing. Cowboys took the ball down the field, knocked through a field goal, take a five-point lead, and that would end up being the final points of the game, 38-33. to Big moment for Oklahoma State taking on an SEC and an old Big 12 foe. Number two for best Big 12 moments in bowl season. Treston Ebner's 75-yard touchdown catch from Charlie Brewer for Baylor against Vanderbilt. Uh, It was a huge win for Baylor for multiple reasons, but that touchdown, at that point, Vanderbilt had scored 14 straight points. Brewer had thrown an interception down 35-31, the Bears' first play of the drive, 75-yard touchdown, Brewer to Ebner, and the Bears would never trail again. Number two, it got bowl season off to a great start for the Bear, for the uh, Big 12 against the SEC. Number one, top moment in Big 12 bowl season is something I opened up the show with, and that was Texas's first drive against Georgia. At this point, going into this game, the Big 12 was 2-1 and one against the SEC. OU had lost to Alabama. I said before the bowl season started, if the Big 12 can split the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl, it's a massive success story for this conference. And they did it. 10 plays, 75-yard drive, ending in a Sam Ellinger two-yard run. That dominant, and I say that in quotation marks, BS, SEC defense, was smoked on the first drive. It set the tone for the game. 
and it sent the Big 12 into the offseason on a very high note. That first drive for Texas against Georgia was the uh, top moment of the bowl season for the Big 12 Conference. There's your top five. Now, as we look at the bowl season as a whole, and we put it in the rearview mirror, it was important for a lot of reasons. But as I think about the teams that go into the offseason with the most momentum, uh, the team that sticks out the most is the Texas Longhorns. You know, you can uh, make an argument for Iowa State, maybe, even though they lost their bowl game, uh, just with Matt Campbell signing an extension, coming back. You can make a case for Oklahoma every year. Oklahoma State got a good win. But the reason I'm going with Texas is, is fairly obvious to me. They not only won their game, they not only beat the best opponent of any team in the Big 12, but the other thing they did is they got good news with guys coming back. Like Iowa State is losing Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery to the NFL draft. Texas is getting Colin Johnson back. To get these guys back and bring them back for another season with Ellinger and Ingram and Humphrey and that defense that is returning most of its players. I mean, that is that is fantastic news for this Longhorns team and for the Longhorns fan. And if you are one of those people that insisted Texas is not back or, you know, the Longhorns aren't back, anybody who says they are is full of it, um, can you admit they're back yet? Are you willing to at least have the conversation that the Texas Longhorns are here? They're here for good after a decade of mediocrity. Uh, this team is back to be dealt with year in, year out in the Big 12 Conference. And there's no other way around it. It's the truth. And, you know, it's good for the Big 12 that Texas is back. I've made that argument many times before. Uh, you can't make another argument. As I said, if you hate Texas, you should want Texas to win every game except for the one when it plays you. It's good for your resume and it's good for the conference. All right? That's how it works. But... Now you think about this Big 12 that is 10 teams deep, a round robin, and I believe does not get enough credit for being the toughest conference in America for the simple standpoint of how it's set up. Nine conference games, all right, the Big 10 does that too, but everybody plays everybody. Nobody else can say that. Nine conference games and a true round robin. First off, it makes it more difficult for a team like Kansas to dig out of the basement. You know, we've touched on this, I believe, in the past, but in the Big Ten or the SEC or something else, you know, Pac-12, your schedule year to year, you can have an easier schedule one year than another year. So you can end up in a situation where, you know, you're building your program like Les Miles is trying to do at Kansas, right? And in year two or year three, he gets an easier schedule with, you know, road games that are maybe uh, easier, home games that are a bit tougher, but he avoids certain teams, you can't do that in the Big 12. You can do that in the SEC or the Big 10 or the Pac-12. Big 12, yes, they switch home and away, but you're playing everybody. You don't get a break from Oklahoma on a given year. It's not like, oh, thanks, I'm avoiding Oklahoma this year and I'm playing Kansas State. You know, in the SEC, you might avoid Alabama one year if you're in the SEC East and you get to play uh, Arkansas. That happens. It doesn't happen in the Big 12, and it's something that if I was the marketing director for this conference, I'd be banging over, you know, I'd be running commercial, commercials all over the place. Now, I know sometimes they'll cite the one true champion, and they do bring all this up, but that specific part of this conference continues to be undercovered, underappreciated, and uh, frankly, undermarketed, if that's a word. 
it does not get the attention that it should be. So Texas has by far the most momentum going into the offseason. Uh, from there on out, I go to the Baylor Bears. You want to talk about a team that went from one win to six to then seven after winning the bowl game, beating an SEC opponent, returning most of that team on both sides of the ball. Yes, you want to see improved defense. You want to see a better offensive line for Charlie Brewer to work behind. Um, you're losing some key parts like Jalen Hurd. But outside of that, a lot of those guys on both sides are coming back. And you've got to be thinking about, okay, the upper echelon of the Big 12, you think of Oklahoma and Texas. And then what's your Tier 2 right now? Is it Baylor? Is it Iowa State? Is it TCU? Is it Oklahoma State? I think those are the teams you put into the mix. And then you go down from there right now, and you're looking at Texas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, because the Mountaineers are going to be in a bit of a rebuild. You know, with the pieces that they're losing, Greer to Jennings um, to David Long, that's a little bit of a rebuild for Neil Brown, who we'll talk about here coming up. And then, of course, Kansas I put in its own category. But that's where this conference is. Um, and that Tier 2, it's always intriguing to me to see who out of that Tier 2 then leaps itself into that Tier 1. Is there a Tier 2 team that can leap itself into the Tier 1? You know, in the past, it's been TCU. It's been Oklahoma State. Can Iowa State make that next jump? I mean, they're capable of doing it, but is Brock Purdy going to find himself, hey, uh, where's Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery? When you lose guys like that, I'm glad that Purdy has some reps under his belt, but it changes the equation a little bit. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Hope you guys are doing well and uh, having a great week. You know, I'm missing football already. I'm getting a little bit of uh, withdrawal here, but we're going to get through. Coming up, let's talk about the uh, new coaching hires. Neil Brown is in town in Morgantown. What do we make of that? And also a shocking move for a former Big 12 coach. It's all coming up right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, there are tons of Big 12 coaches who continue to be on the move or involved in a lot of rumors. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much for joining us, whether it's the radio show, podcast, YouTube. Appreciate you being a part of it. So uh, let's start off with a big hire since last week when we talked. Neil Brown is the new West Virginia head coach. He comes from Troy. And uh, great pedigree. A lot of people consider him to be the next big-time, young, up-and-coming head coach. I get it. Here's what he has got to do, though, better than Dana Holgerson. Forget the X's and O's. He has got to figure out how to recruit to Morgantown. It's something that coaches have, Dana Holgerson most notably, did not do well. I had multiple people tell me that Dana Holgerson, from the inside, basically had a defeatist attitude on the recruiting trail. He essentially was like, ah, oh, it's hard to get here. It's tough to get kids here. But the thing was, once he got him to Morgantown on an official visit, kids fell in love with the place. They enjoyed the town. They enjoyed the university, the community. And, I, you know, I've been there once in my life. I was there in 20, uh, December of, was that, 16? 
for the Baylor game, final game of the regular season. Went down there with a bunch of Mountaineers fans. It was it's a great town. You go down on High Street, you have a grand old time. You know, you got the bars, the restaurants, everything else. Uh, what was uh oh gosh, what was the the wing place? Oh, it's gonna drive me nuts now. The wing place in Morgantown. Um, I I it's uh, I'll figure it out. Um. Ben Willie's is one of the bars down there, right, for uh, UWVU fans. But uh, it's it's an awesome place. It's a great town, beautiful area. It, there's a lot going for it. So you just got to get him there. Neil Brown's got to do that. You know, he's a Kentucky guy. I don't know if he's going to try to recruit Kentucky kids, kind of that north end of the SEC type of group. If he's going to go the old Florida route, which is a lot of West Virginia area people do, or a lot of West Virginia football coaches have traditionally done, does he try Ohio? That's why I wanted Luke Fickle for the job, the Cincinnati head coach. I wanted Luke Fickle because I wanted a guy who could recruit talent-rich Ohio and just get him a few hours down the road to Morgantown. You know, Ohio's got a ton of talent. Fickle knew Ohio State. He was the interim head coach there, of course, uh, defensive coordinator, was at Cincinnati, played at Ohio State, uh, knew the West Virginia president because he spent time at Ohio State. I thought that was a perfect fit. Unfortunately, I guess I was wrong. But Neil Brown, highly regarded. People love him. I'm curious to see what he'll do and how this plays out for the Mountaineers and how he recruits over the next few weeks to try to close signing day. I know the early signing day is now kind of the signing day, but he's still got a few weeks to try to add some pieces there. So let's see what he does over the next uh, bunch of weeks in Morgantown. This was some shocking news that came down earlier in the week. Cliff Kingsbury is now a head coach in the NFL. You know, I made a big stink about this when Cliff Kingsbury was fired. I said, the Ma- or the uh, Red Raiders are making a mistake here. This doesn't make any sense. You know, the guy had lost his true freshman quarterback, who, by the way, was looking like the guy who could be a quarterback of the future for the next three years in Lubbock, could be one of the top quarterbacks in the Big 12 under a great quarterback guru, a guy who's coached Mahomes, who's coached uh, Mayfield for a hot minute, who coached Johnny Manziel. That's the guy I wanted to run the program. The defense was getting better under David Gibbs. They were forcing turnovers. They were learning his system over the past couple of years. You were seeing the growth. There were some bad breaks down the stretch for the Red Raiders, and that's why Cliff Kingsbury lost his job. There were injuries that hurt him and bad breaks. They played all the good teams close, whether it was Oklahoma, whether it was Texas. They did everything you would have asked. Yes, the Kansas State game was a stinker, but they played tough, Well, and it felt like they were on the brink. It felt like Iowa State back in 2016. Not quite there yet. A lot of close losses. Reason to believe the future was bright. And they blow the guy out. For who? For Matt Wells. Now, Matt Wells might turn into be a a nice coach. He might, you know, might work out pretty well for him. He comes from Utah State. He's got a decent track record there. But, you know, if you're going to get rid of Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who loved the job, who desperately wanted to win at his alma mater. He wanted nothing more than to make that job work. If you're going to get rid of that guy when there was enough evidence to prove, I know the track record big picture maybe wasn't the evidence that you wanted. 35 and 40, 19 and 30-something in the Big 12. I understand all that. 
but the immediate evidence on what the future had coming in 2019. If you did not believe in that for Cliff Kingsbury and you were going to blow him out, that's fine. But you better hope you hit lightning in a bottle with Matt Wells because now Cliff Kingsbury is the freaking head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He was from getting fired by Texas Tech to getting the offensive coordinator position at USC. They won't let him interview for jobs. He says, screw it, I'm leaving the contract. And he gets an NFL, not offensive coordinator job, an NFL head coaching job with the Arizona Cardinals. It is a miracle. Now, you get why. Everyone's trying to get their next Sean McVay, their young Rams head coach. Everybody's looking for that guy. Um, There's reason to believe that maybe when it comes to running a program or a team, maybe Kingsbury's not the person that the Cardinals think he is. Maybe he's not the next Sean McVay. But guess what? The guy knows how to coach quarterbacks. And with Josh Rosen not having a great year with Arizona – to now bring in a guy who has turned around quarterbacks his entire career and created systems that has allowed a lot of quarterbacks to have career years, uh, that's the guy that you want to match with Josh Rosen. You'd think maybe an offensive coordinator would be a better start in the NFL, but you got to give the Cardinals this. It takes stones to make that move. And the fact that they did it and they're going this route and Cliff Kingsbury is now an NFL head coach after getting fired by a middle-tier Power 5 team. Has that ever happened? There's no way it's ever happened. It tells you, though, how the college game is infiltrating the pro game. And that's the big takeaway from this, too. The college game is now not looked at as the JV game. It is now taking control in the NFL. we got more coming up right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. The Oklahoma Sooners also found themselves with a busy few days, and that's because they finally got, hopefully, their next answer on the defensive side of the ball. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much for coming in, being a part of the show, and joining us, as many of you do each and every week. So Alex Grinch is the guy at, um, at Oklahoma, the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, has been hired to lead the Sooners now. And, you know, I'm thinking about this, and I was watching the national championship game on Monday and watching Alabama get dominated by Clemson. And I thought to myself, as Brent Venables holds Tua Tugavaloa to 16 points, I think to myself, this is the guy who basically got demoted for Mike Stoops. Remember, Mike Stoops came in and he became the co-defensive coordinator with Venables, and then Venables left shortly thereafter and basically said, I'm out of Dodge. You know, that may be the biggest black eye on Bob Stoops' tenure because with the offense this team had the past five years, they could have won a national championship or, dare I say, two. What held them back was a terrible defense, and it wasn't a defense that, you know, wasn't able to, uh, uh, didn't have talent. There's more four- and five-star guys on the defensive side of the ball for OU than there is the offensive side of the ball. People don't realize that, but that's true. And to think that this team, with Heisman finalists the past three years, right? 15, yeah, four, was it four? Yeah. Mayfield, 15, 16, 17. And then Murray this year winning the past two. To think that you have a team with that type of offensive capability, 
that was unable to put a defense together that could win you one college football playoff game, at least get you to the national championship. The fact that the OU's uh, program couldn't do that, uh, you know, I'm not going to blame Lincoln Riley for it because Lincoln Riley at 34 years old could not waltz in there after Bob Stoops gives him the head job and uh, gives him one of the most prestigious jobs in all of college football on a silver platter and say, by the way, I'm canning your uh, sorry-ass brother. You know, he can't do that, right? So he had to deal with Mike for at least a year to a year and a half, which he did, and then he fired him after the Texas loss. But it gets back to Bob. You know, Mike Stoops, I heard his interview on uh, the Sports Animal with Dusty Dvorak in Oklahoma City after he was fired. He seems like a good guy. He seems like he means well. But clearly the game had passed him by. You know, I mean, he could still recruit. He still had that Stoops swagger, but the game had passed him by. He was not developing these top-tier talents into legitimate, you know, top-end college players. And that was on him, and that was on the defensive staff. So Alex Grinch comes in, and, uh, you know, my question is uh, the Ohio State defense was not great this past year. In fact, it wasn't very good at all. A lot of people say, well, it wasn't his system. It was uh, Greg Schiano's. May be the case. Before that, Grinch had a really good season at uh, Washington State under Mike Leach. That's where he was in 2017. Then he came to Ohio State in 2016 or 2018. But Grinch at 38 years old, intriguing, young, innovative guy. But what I wonder is, can he recruit? You know, I mean, you think about what this OU team's been able to do, and maybe Lincoln Riley's the closer, but can he recruit the defensive side of the ball? He's going to need help from his staff, the people he hires, and, you know, what they end up doing from there as to whether or not this team's going to have that success on the recruiting trail, getting the right guys in, and then building them around your system. That's the part of Alex Grinch that I want to see how he does, and I'm a little I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned about it at all. I just want to see how he handles that moving forward and what that next phase is for this Oklahoma defense. You know, uh, it, Someone's got to fix it. And this is the first big hire of Lincoln Riley's career where we can say, okay, did he make the right call? Is he a good decision maker? You know, Does he have that? It's one thing to be a great offensive mind, and, you know, be a great coordinator, call great plays, and even be a head coach. Can you make the right hires? And that's something that has to be discussed and has to be considered as we evaluate what is next for Lincoln Riley and if he can take that next step with this program. It remains to be seen. So we'll follow it. We'll see. But it's very intriguing to me in terms of what happens here for the Oklahoma Sooners um, here on out moving forward. I'm also fascinated over these next uh, three, four weeks to see what happens on the recruiting trail. I know the early signing day has taken a lot of the pizzazz out of what happens here for these teams in February, right? It's not like, by the way, the grass is always greener, right? When we had the signing day in February, we all complained, oh, these guys should have an early signing day. This stinks. It's um, too much. It's too long. They should be able to decide earlier. And now they decide earlier, and I find myself longing for signing day. You know, then uh, what Wednesday in February, I find myself longing for those days in a lot of ways. And it's just funny how that works. You want what you can't have. Right. That's how it always uh, that's how it always goes. But I, I'm just I'm curious to see how teams like with the new head coaches. How does Kansas close? How does K-State close with climbing? Um, what does Matt Wells do? What does Neil Brown do? How those guys handle 
these next three, four weeks is very interesting to me, even though a lot of the classes are done. You know, I, I want to see what they do here moving forward, how they handle it. Can Les Miles put together any semblance of respectability in, you know, two months on the job? I don't know if he can do it. I know he's going to try like hell to do it. I'm going to respect the hell out of whatever he does. But can he do it? I don't know. You know, can Kleiman close in a couple of guys? Like, that's one of the big things that Kleiman was hired for. He knows the region. He knows the territory. Um, he knows how to recruit to a place that maybe people don't think of when you consider college football. I mean, Manhattan's a great town. I've been there a couple of times. I look forward to going back this fall. Um, maybe I'll even get there for a basketball game. So, you know, it, it's a great town, but you got to get people there. You got to get them in to see it. Can Kleiman do that? Can him and his staff do that over these next couple of weeks? So those are the storylines that I'll be keeping a close eye on here. You know, Matt Wells, no ties to Texas for the most part. What does he do? Neil Brown, we talked about it earlier on the show. How does he handle all this moving forward? So what those guys do over this next month will be uh, one of the top and most underrated storylines in this conference to watch moving forward. Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com, Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Thank you to all of you for joining us, as many of you do each and every week. Please do spread the word. We have been totally grassroots because of you. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of it. We have a lot of great basketball content up on the website, so go check it out. Matthew Poston's doing great work for us there on the basketball side. We'll be diving into that headfirst as well as the season rolls along. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports, Heartland College Sports Weekly, the show. Have a great week, guys. And we'll talk to you next week, same time, same place. 2,000 country stations. Yeah, we're one big country nation. That's right. Appreciate you guys listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Send me an email of the rating and the review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. I'll get you the free koozie. I appreciate it, guys. Have a um, great next few days, and we'll talk to you soon.